This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740. It was a dark and stormy night. A perfect night, in fact, for Conspiracy Paranormal Supernatural talk radio. In fact, uh, there was a downpour of biblical proportions earlier this evening as I made my way uh, to the studio here in Liberty Village. And uh, quite, I have to admit, a few panicky moments uh, I just I, I took possession of a new car, and uh, the Subaru, 388,000 kilometers, finally gave up the ghost, blew up on the 401 as I was making my way to uh, teach a class at Durham College, just east of Toronto. And uh, so the mighty, the mighty Aphrodite and I uh, bought a 2012 Volkswagen Passat, uh, which we're enjoying, uh, but fool that I am, I neglected to read the owner's manual, and so here I am driving down the DVP with the rain coming down and the glare from oncoming traffic, and the windows start to fog, and I can't locate the windshield defogger on the instrument panel. Uh, So I am scrambling, and uh, it's fogging up in a real hurry, and uh, I am steering with one hand and wiping the windshield frantically with the sleeve of my other arm, I tell you, there's a few uh, white-knuckle moments there, but I made it in one piece, obviously. Uh, rest assured, I'll be memorizing my owner's manual tomorrow morning. Welcome to the Audio, audio Imaginarium. Uh, you found us. This is The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett, and before we get started, time to welcome a new affiliate, KFKB, 1490 AM, in Forks, Washington. Uh, that's in Clallam County. Uh, and... Uh, Clallam County, I think, is in the uh, the western part of the uh, the state, if uh, memory serves. I've spent some time in Seattle, a beautiful part of uh, Washington State. Uh, and um, they call it the Forks, I think. Yeah, it says here it's called the Forks, the city of Forks. It's named after the Forks in the nearby. Now, I'm going to boot these pronunciations, but we'll give it a whirl here. Uh, Kilayut, Bogachil, Kalawa, and the Salduck Rivers. That's why they call it Forks, Washington. Anyway, thanks, KFKB, for adding the Conspiracy Show uh, to your lineup. It's great to be um, a part of your radio family. 
Not sure if you read this, there was a four-year-old Norwegian girl. She's terrified her family by sleepwalking over five kilometers, that's three miles, to a nearby town on a stormy night, just like tonight, uh, wearing just her underwear and a pair of thin boots. Uh, police found the girl unharmed in the town of Honingsvag on the northern island uh, I won't try that one. Anyway, on a northern island in Norway after locals called at 6.30 uh, last Monday. And uh, her aunt, who's looking after the girl and her three young siblings while their mother went on holiday, thought her niece was asleep in bed when the police rang. She ran into the bedroom and was devastated when she saw that the girl wasn't lying in bed. She apparently uh, remembers, the girl does, uh, remembers dreaming that her house was on fire, putting on her boots and unlocking the front door. Her aunt says she probably went first to a nearby fish factory and then walked through an 800-meter or 2,600-foot tunnel to get to Honigsvag. Wow. Uh, anyway, I've posted that on the, uh, the homepage at richardserrett.com. You know, sometimes I think we're all a little bit like that four-year-old Norwegian girl sleepwalking through life, sleepwalking towards a cliff, and everyone's been left strict instructions not to wake us up. Uh, but we better wake up fast. Jonathan Kahn would likely concur with that statement. He's standing by uh, to talk about a 3,000-year-old mystery that holds the secret of America's future, the world's future, and your future. The author of The Harbinger is back with a, few, with a new book, The Mystery of the Shemitah, and we'll get to that in a few moments. I just want to once again remind you that if you haven't ordered your passes yet for my Follow the Truth, the Conspiracy Show Summit, you need to do it now. Uh, there are a limited number of tickets being sold uh, to this intimate event, and it's going to be a very special all-day conference-style event that I'm presenting. Uh, I'm going to be on stage, and I'm bringing six special speakers up there with me. After the conference, you can come out and hang out and, 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 meet, and, uh, and meet and greet myself and our speakers. Uh, so mark this down. Sunday, November the 16th at the Region Theatre in Oshawa, just about 40 minutes east of Toronto. Get on the phone. First thing tomorrow, get a bunch of your friends together. Call the box office, 905-721-3399. Order your passes. And the first 200 tickets sold will go into a draw. And you could win a chance for dinner with yours truly or a chance to hang out with me and our speakers during the conference. One lucky winner will get to sit in on The Conspiracy Show and co-host the show with me. So again, uh, call 905 721 3399 mention the code word Roswell and get a 25% off uh, discount off the price of your passes. For more information, visit the website followthetruth.tv. Uh, go there now. Find tonight's radio contest question. Call Tim, my producer, in studio, 416-360-0740 or 866-740-4740. And I'll award the first two callers with the correct answer, a pair of tickets to follow the truth, the Conspiracy Show Summit. Okay, let's get to it, because it's later than we think. As I say, is it possible there exists a 3,000-year-old mystery that's been determining the course of your life without your knowing it, that foretells current events, that has revealed the dates and hours of the greatest crashes in Wall Street history before they happened, that determined the timing of 9-11, that lies behind the rise of America to global superpower, and its fall that lies behind world wars and the collapse of nations, world powers, and empires. My next guest believes there is such a mystery that does all of these things and more. Jonathan Kahn, author of the New York Times bestseller The Harbinger, has just come out with his new book, The Mystery of the Shemitah, the 3,000-year-old mystery that holds the secret of America's future, the world's future, and your future. It is immediately... 
become a national and New York Times bestseller and is causing a stir around the world. Jonathan leads the Jerusalem Center Beth Israel in Wayne, New Jersey, and is president of Hope of the World, an outreach to people throughout the world. Great to have Jonathan Kahn back on The Conspiracy Show. Jonathan, how are you? Good. <laughs> Better. Great to be with you, Richard. Yeah, <laughs> I had a little, I was in the hospital for a little bit the, when the, with the week that the, the book came out. Suddenly I got pneumonia. Um, but I, you know, apparently, uh, you know, the book didn't need me <laughs> because it didn't need me to promote it because it, it, it went to the New York Times immediately. Well, I'm glad you're on the mend. And uh, I, yeah. I had a bout of pneumonia earlier in the year. It's no fun. And uh, I, yeah. I'm not surprised, Jonathan. I mean, every time you, you, you're on the email with me, you're either in an airport, <laughs> on a plane. I mean, you are, you are, on a, man, you are a man with a mission. Now, for those who are not, let's just dial back uh, because sure. uh, we had you on talking about the Harbinger. But this is kind of an obviously follow on the uh, mm-hmm. in in the footsteps of the harbinger. So let's just take a couple of minutes and talk about what the harbinger is all about, and then we can get into the mystery of Shemitah. Yeah, the harbinger is uh, the revealing of uh, a mystery goes back two and a half thousand years, and it concerns the last days of ancient Israel before its destruction. And nine harbingers or nine prophetic warnings appear in the land, and the the it, the nation refuses to you know be warned by it and and in time a number of years it's destroyed well the the scary thing or the stunning thing is that those same harbingers those same signs of warning are now appearing in the modern world they're now appearing on american soil some have appeared in new york city some have appeared in washington dc some have involved uh, American leaders, even the President of the United States, uh, some have involved ceremonies, and they are happening precisely. They're happening um, w- really. It's not a general thing. It's an exact thing. It's an eerie thing. They're replaying since 9/11. It really begins with 9/11, um, and since the book, the Harbinger came out in 2012, and since it came out, the Harbingers have not stopped. They have continued to unfold, to manifest which is a sign. This is a, a biblical sign that America, and with it, this is the world, it's Canada, it's the world, uh, it's America is heading for uh, a disa- calamity, a disaster. Um, and, you know, it's, you know, it's really so precise. I mean, one of the mysteries, I mean, the Harbinger has, has nine um, signs, or nine prophetic signs, but then there are several mysteries. One of the mysteries that begins with the Harbinger is that of the Shemitah. And, the, you know, when, when uh, I wrote The Harbinger, I knew there was more to it, but I, ha- I really had no idea how incredibly big this is. And it's really only in the last few months that this whole, this whole thing has happened. What's, the, the mystery of the Shemitah, you know, begins from The Harbinger, but it is overwhelmingly revealing things that I really had no idea of. This thing has been affecting us really since not since 9/11 this has been affecting us every one of us since we were born i mean it, it is it is so big i mean everything from from not only the rise and fall of the stock market uh the economy the recessions depressions all linked to this ancient mystery um the hitler uh the the atomic bomb the cold war um all just virtually i mean it's almost virtually everything it's amazing and it's and it is also precise to the point that this particular mystery of the Shemitah, which goes back three thousand years, actually pinpoints the actual uh, 
the, the greatest crashes in Wall Street history down to the days, down to the, to the hours, down to the minutes. That's how precise it is. And we are coming up to another one, which I'm sure we'll get into, at least by the end. We are now approaching another one, and so this concerns the future. And so the idea here is that, uh, that, uh, that God warns before judgment. Yes. And this, this warning was given to the ancient Israelites uh, through the prophet Isaiah. Yes. Uh, so it all dials back to the, uh, the, the book of Isaiah in the Old yes. Testament. It's he warns Isaiah before he judges. 9, 10. Yeah. And the ancient Israelites ignored the warning, so they received God's wrath. And this is being revisited upon the world, not just the United States in 9-11, but throughout the world. So, but, yeah. so in other yeah, words, affects, yeah, go ahead. So in other words this, this warning, we can heed the warning and we can undo the prophecy. Well, it's yeah, yeah. It, it's it's more more than a prophecy because it was a prophecy to ancient Israel, but now it's a a replaying of that pattern. Um, so yes, the, theoretically, yes, theore- you know, depending on this, so could of Israel in the sense that they could, if they responded to the warning, absolutely. That's the whole point of of the warning, as you said. But they didn't. And right now, see the thing about America, which again affects the world. America was was actually founded according to the pattern of Israel, ancient Israel. And so, you know, it has been blessed beyond, you know, I mean, nations, and yet the, uh, the warning is that if it turns, the same, the same pattern of judgment will fall upon it. And right now, America is certainly, it has not been turning back. It's been, it's been accelerating in its, in its departure from God. And the harbingers, have been accelerating. I mean, they, I mean they, they've been continuously manifesting. And again, since the book, involving the president since the book, so they are, right now, it doesn't look good. It's continuing on. And the Shemitah part of it is what gives the timing of, you know, it's, it's really the pattern of timing, or the secret that, that is throughout the Bible, that is not, that it really, again, involves everything and everyone and yet, in this particular case, it also particularly speaks of judgment. All right. Uh, Jonathan Kahn is with us, the author of The Mystery of the Shemitah, the 3,000-year-old mystery that holds the secret of America's future, the world's future, and your future. And we'll uh, drill down on this and find out exactly what a Shemitah is, how it operates, and what it means not only for us, but America, Canada, the world. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. After this time out, my name is Richard Serrett. Stay a while. Welcome back. Jonathan Kahn stunned millions across America and around the world with the mysteries revealed in his New York Times bestseller, The Harbinger. Now he's uncovered and reveals a new realm of astonishing mysteries so big they lie behind everything from world wars, the rise and fall of nations, economic recession and financial collapse, and your future. It's called The Mystery of the Shemitah the 3,000-year-old mystery that holds the secret of America's future, the world's future, and your future. So, uh, again, what, what, what precisely is a Shemitah? Explain what it is and how it works and, and, um, and how it, it unfolds. Yeah, the, the Shemitah is the, in the Bible, it's the Sabbath year. It's that every seven years, just like every seven days, every seventh year was a year of rest, Sabbath. The land rest, there was no sowing, no reaping, no buying or selling of the, of the fruits of the land, and... On the last day, it was called Elul 29 on the Hebrew calendar. Elul 29, something very unique happened. All the 
debts of the nations are, wipe, are wiped out, all the credits wiped out, the financial accounts of the nation is wiped clean. Now, this was to be a blessing, but the thing is that as Israel turned away from God and broke the Shemitah, this Shemitah be, turns from a blessing into a sign of judgment. It kind of all comes back at them in the year 586 B.C. when they are taken into captivity, the land is destroyed, and the Bible says that the land rested for 70 years because of the 70 Shemitahs, or Sabbath years, that were in them. Also, the Shemitah becomes a sign of judgment on a nation or a civilization that has turned away from God. And it specifically begins by striking the financial realm, the economic realm. And so, so here is the, the thing. Now, the first thing is, is that the amazing thing, and really, really stunning, is that this has been behind or determining the economy, determining Wall Street, all these things, and not just since 9-11, which is, it gets more intense, we'll talk about it. It's getting more intense, but it really, really from, from the beginning of the 20th century at least, and that's what I just looked at. Now, let me give you an example. The, there is something in the book, there's a chapter called the, the Cycles of Sinai, and that is the rise and fall of the Shemitah, I mean, it's linked to the economy and linked to the financial realm. Um, so here, if you look at the last 40 years, you, there are five major long-term uh, collapses of the stock market. I mean, it's, and I'm talking about, you know, over more than a year period. It's a, a long-term thing. It peaks and then, and then depths. Now, now, here's the first thing. One is in 1973. One is in 1980. The other is in 1987. Another in 2000. Another in 2007. Now, there's, a, there's something going on because the first thing is that they all – they all take place within a seven-year cycle to the one before it or the one after, which is exactly what the Shemitah determines. That's the first thing. Secondly, the question is, do any of them take place linked to the year of the Shemitah specifically in the Bible? The answer is every single one of them takes place on the, on the year of the Shemitah, every single one of them. So it's not only a seven-year cycle. It's happening on the appointed time when the, the Bible determines that here you have this, in a sense, this collapse. The word Shemitah can mean release, but it can also mean collapse and fall. And, and we're going to see it's not only the financial realm or the economic realm, but that's where it begins. That's the first thing. Secondly, if you look at the greatest long-term crashes in modern times, not just the last 40 years, but, the, but just modern times, do any of them happen in that once-in-seven-year in Shemitah period? The answer is the majority of them take place in that period. In fact, only a minority take place outside of that period. Would that include 29? Would that include 1929? Uh, well, it will, inclu- it will include the Great Depression, I'll tell you. The, the, for instance, the top three, the top three crashes are 1937 and 1938, and that's, that's number three, and that, the, the Shemitah was 1937 to 1938. Uh, the Great Recession that just, that just happened is, was 2007, 2008 is when it begins, and the Shemitah is 2007 to 2008. The Great Depression becomes the Great Depression, reaches its peak in a pivotal year of 1930 and 1931, and that begins with the crashes of 29, but the, but the pivotal thing is that, and that's the, the Shemitah is 1930, 1931. And in fact, you know, for instance, in 1937, the Shemitah begins the next day, the day after Wall Street collapses. With the Great Depression, it reaches the peak day of the Shemitah. That's that thing I told you about, Rule 29, linked to financial wipeout, that ushers in the greatest 
month-long wipeout collapse in stock market history to this day. And, and not only is it a mystery that has to do with years, but you've got something that there's a particular time of year in the Bible. The, the Shemitah is linked to the Hebrew month of called Tishri, which, by the way, we're about to enter into it. And Tishri, is, is, it begins the, the, the Shemitah, it ends the Shemitah, and it's the month that, that comes right at that wipeout point, that, that Elul 29 leads into Tishri. So Tishri was the month that would manifest this financial wipeout. So, so now keep that in mind. And if you look at the, now the greatest single-day crashes in stock market history, where the greatest percentage uh, is wiped out, do any of them take place or centered around the month of Tishri? Because they can take place, you know, any time in the year. Well, here's the answer. The majority of them, the majority of them all cluster around the month of Tishri, all of them. And, in fact, you know, it, they all cluster. The majority are in a two-and-a-half-week period of all times in the year. They all cluster around this two-and-a-half-week period linked to Tishri. Now, for ages, Richard, you know, the, you know, financial analysts have been mystified by this phenomenon, and, and you probably noticed it. A lot of people have noticed it, that there tend to be these great crashes around the autumn, you right, know, October, right. September, October. And they always tried to explain it, and it never, it never worked. They thought it was because the farmers were, were getting paid by the banks, which is long over. It had nothing to do with it. But the mystery of the Shemitah, it, it, it gives this, this answer because that the September, October is the exact time of the month of Tishri that the Bible determines is the, is the time of financial, basically, um, nullification. And, for instance, if you look at the greatest three, the top three day crashes, percentage crashes in history, they're all, they all have the word black in front of them, Black Monday of the Great Depression, Black Tuesday, and Black Monday of 1987. Which was and, August, was it not? August 25th? No, no? Uh, no uh, of, of 1987? Well, uh, well, well, let me tell you, on the Hebrew calendar, here's what it is. It's Tishri 24, Tishri 25, and Tishri 26. I believe it was October. Ah, October. They all, okay. In fact, they all happened within three days, all focused in the same thing given in the Bible. Now, if you look at the greatest um, magnitude crashes, volume crashes in Wall Street history, do any of them happen around this time of this wipeout day in the Bible, the, the nullification day? Well, the answer is the top five, the top five, all of them happen in close proximity to or on that very day appointed in the Bible. I mean, the top five. And here's the other part that's even, you know, kind of more eerie or you could say scary, um, and that is that the, the phenomenon is, is intensifying. The, sh- the phenomenon of the Shemitah is getting stronger and more exact. And, the, and if you take it to recent history, we've got, you know, we have 2001, and, and 2001, you have the greatest point crash in Wall Street history, and up to that day. And when did it take place? It took place September 17th in 2001. It, but on the biblical calendar, the greatest crash happened on the, the exact day of the Shemitah, the day of nullification, Elul 29, appointed in the Bible to wipe out the financial realm concerning a nation or a civilization that is in danger of judgment. And that, that, that lasts, that record lasts for a number of years, and finally it's surpassed by the greatest, which still stands, which happens in the Great Recession. 2008, September 29th, 
They go into the stock market, New York Stock Exchange. They ring the bell. The bell refuses to ring that day. They even even Wall Street. I remember that. Moment. And that day, it's you have the greatest crash in stock market history. Period. And what day was that? It was. I mean, you have September 29th, and you have in 2008. You have September 17th to 2001. So that's that's this that's close. But on the Hebrew calendar. The greatest stock market crash, 2008, happened on the exact same biblical day, the day of wipeout, the day appointed to nullify the financial realm. It happens on Elul 29. So you got the two greatest crashes up to those days on the exact same biblical day, the day that just happens to be appointed you know, to do this very thing. And it's not just one day of the year. It's they, they each happen on the once in seven year at Lul 29. That is the actual moment of the Shemitah, the peak. So, so you, and, and they are separated, you know, because the mystery ordains that they would be separated by seven years. Well, the two greatest stock market crashes to those days each happen seven years apart, exactly seven biblical Hebrew years apart, down to the day, down to the hour, down to the minute, down to the second. I mean, that's how mind-boggling this is. If someone, Jonathan, excuse me, if someone wanted to try this out for themselves, and, and where would they look specifically in, in, is it in Isaiah, where they could test this out for themselves? If, if they're saying, I don't believe this. You where, mean, you mean point, where, the, where, where, the, where the mystery of the Shemitah begins in the Bible? Yes. Yeah, it begins. Well, that's great. It, yeah, it begins actually in the Torah. It begins with Mount Sinai. It begins with Moses. This is this is over three thousand years ago. Um, you'll see it in Exodus. You'll see it, I believe, in Leviticus. You see it in um, Deuteronomy. Uh, everything. All they do is kind of, kind of uh, you know Google or check where it talks about the Sabbath year or the seventh year, every seventh year. Um, and so it's it, it it's really from the beginning of the Bible. I mean, I mean, and in fact, in fact, Richard, you know, if you look even at the story of Joseph and the you know the seven years of famine and the seven years you know the, the, in Egypt the seven years of prosperity, even that is the pattern beginning of the economy that is set from the beginning. It's not just a seven day pattern seven years. So it, it, it's so really, when, when I first, you know, realized this, and the first thing that, that caught me was, this, was the two last crashes. That's what opened up this whole thing, I, but I didn't realize how big it was. Um, and that, that means every transaction in the world, I mean, you know, had to be part of this equation, you know, because, you know, it, there's nobody who could put that together except God. I mean, it, it's, it's really mind-boggling. And the warning, the Shemitah, and, you know, is, you know, the, as it means collapse, the warning is that if America and really Western civilization, if it's not a return to God, the warning is all the blessings that are in this, this, this are, that we have are from God. If we, turn, if we do not turn back from God, if we reject Him, which is what's happening, then those blessings will also be removed. That's the warning of the Shemitah. And the age as we've known it, the, since World War II, this, this world order will collapse. So 2008... A little twenty-nine, two thousand and eight. We 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 go ahead seven years to the next shemitah. So are we talking a little twenty-nine, two thousand fifteen? <laughs> yes, we are. Yeah, we'll we'll get if you want. You know, um, I will definitely get into the when the shemitah begins. You know, when it ends, and some there are signs that are uh, uh, that are attached to that. You know, and that that's one of the reasons why there is so much. You know, there's been so much speculation on this. Um, that yes, we are approaching. In fact. We are approaching the beginning of it in, uh, you know, today is, <laughs> today is Sunday. We are approaching it in about three or four days, the Shemitah begins. And I'll, 
I, I promise, you know, before we, you know, the, the, the listeners, before we um, finish, I'll give, you know, the, give the pattern of this and what we could expect. Not that, again, I'm not date setting, although I will give, in the book, I do give dates, but, and I do believe we need to be ready, we need to be prepared. Uh, it's not that something, something doesn't have to happen every cycle, but I would be ready for it, and I'll share what also I believe, you know, will happen. And also, when we come back, we'll talk about uh, what the Shemitah has to do with the uh, the World Trade Center. Of course, the uh, the collapse mm-hmm. of the two trade centers uh, in um, September of nineteen uh, or two thousand and one. Uh, what links uh, the towers with the Shemitah? And uh, as you say, we'll we'll talk about the future, it, the, the coming Shemitah. It's so big; it's it's everything. The, well, the the rise of nations and the fall. Absolutely stunning. The mystery of the Shemitah, the 3,000-year-old mystery that holds the secret of America's future, the world's future, and your future. Jonathan Kahn uh, is with us, uh, the author of the New York Times bestselling The Harbinger, the ancient mystery that holds the secret of America's uh, future. Now, uh, were you... You weren't expecting to write a, a follow-up to The Harbinger so quickly. <laughs> no. just very, we just have a, a minute here, but what, what, yeah. what happened? Yeah, I was. I, I believe that the follow-up for the Harbinger or the actual uh, the sequel will be at another time. I have a very strong leading. There are things that are going to happen that's going to be linked to it. But you know, the the, the publisher said, you know, if the Shemitah is coming. Everybody wants to know. Let's. I'll write a booklet. I said, okay, I'll help you write a booklet. Well, as I started, I was flooded with these new revelations, and I said, that's not going to be a booklet. It's going to be a book. And so I wrote it. It happened in a rapid time, a month and a half, while I was on the road, while I was in planes and hotels. It just flooded out. And so it became something really that nobody, this book came, that nobody planned. It was just finished, like maybe two months ago. It's, or, it's out, and it's, it's going off. So nobody planned it. <laughs> Have you talked to, uh, to uh, economists about this and, yes. and forecasters? In, in, fact, in fact, economists and analysts have contacted me. And I've, just, I, I've been shown really amazing things that I didn't realize when I wrote the book. I can, I can touch on, but amazingly confirming this. And, uh, uh, I mean, what is their overall reaction? I'm guessing skepticism? Well, the ones that I have, the ones that have talked to me, I mean, I can't have, have been fascinated, and they're wondering if they should, then some are giving it to their clients and things like, and, you know, and, and things like that. Um, some of them have actually, I've actually found economists who, who located the seven-year pattern, but they had no idea it had to do with the Shemitah. And yet, the, the, they identify the very same years of the Shemitah. All right, we'll uh, take a time out, come back, and continue our conversation with Jonathan Kahn, The Mystery of the Shemitah. We'll talk about the future, the coming Shemitah. It's almost upon upon us, and what might it hold in store? Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. All right, welcome back. Jonathan Kahn is with us, The Mystery of the Shemitah. And before we get to the the, the coming Shemitah and what it might hold in store, let's talk very quickly. This is a short segment, Jonathan, about five minutes. The Mystery of of the Towers. What is The Mystery of the Towers? This is how one of the mysteries in in the book is it, it concerns an ancient connection between uh, the rising of towers, high towers, and the rise of nations, and and, and by extension the fall of nations, and it, it's it goes back to Babel, it goes back to the Hebrew, but, but the amazing thing is first of all if you look at America, the the it be, it built the highest tower in the world in 1870, for the first time it it, let, it wasn't Europe, it was the New World. And so, the next year, America becomes the strongest power on Earth, the next year. Uh, you watch it, then from that moment on, America, the, the highest towers are coming up from American soil. And America is rising and rising, and the towers rise and rise, um, until you get, you get 19, 
30 and 31 where you have a you have a flurry you have the four four different towers are become the greatest in the world uh, ending with the empire state building and that's the year of the shemitah i won't go into the significance yet but the thing is that when you get to the peak really of american the rise power 1945 america stands preeminent in everything and a new tower is planned in 1945 and that tower is the world trade center and then and it's conceived in the 1945 is the year of the Shemitah. So it's conceived in the year of the Shemitah. The World Trade Center begins to be built in 1966. That's the year of the Shemitah again. It is built for seven years. That's the exact cycle of the Shemitah. It is completed in 1973. That is the year of the Shemitah. All this is conceived, it's built, it's finished, year of the Shemitah. And then it is destroyed in 2001, the year of the Shemitah. And, and not only is it destroyed in the year of the Shemitah, but it is destroyed at, on the very peak of the Shemitah, the, the very last week, which is approaching that, that time of nullification, wipeout. And, the, and actually, that's what's going to lead. Actually, 9-11 is what's going to cause the, the stock market to crash in 2001, and which crashes on the exact day of the Shemitah. So you know, even the timing of 9-11 had to be part of this ancient mystery for this to happen. And so it takes place, and you know, the Shemitah not only wipes away the financial realm, it can even wipe away realities or wipe, wipe away physical structures. That's what happened in Israel in 586 B.C. It actually wiped away a city and a nation. And, the, and again, remember the word, the ancient word means to fall or to collapse, um, you know, to shake. So here we have the shaking, this falling. And then, you know, this also now intersects with the mystery of the harbingers, because that's when the harbingers begin at the same moment. And you have this new tower that is rising up, that is linked in the, in the, in the harbinger. It's the fourth harbinger, which is linked to this, this defiance, that the, the mistake that Israel did after it was warned in this strike in, in ancient times, and, and this rebuilding of this tower. Then there's so many things focused on this tower. Uh, but this tower was begun or was conceived in, also in the year of the Shemitah. It looks like it will be completed in the coming year of the Shemitah. And there is so much connected to this, which when we talk about, um, I mean, I would watch that. I would watch when this is completed. We talk about the future. This tower is part of this whole mystery. Because remember, again, the Shemitah, as it talks about fall or, or you know, the collapse, also involves on its biggest scale is nations itself. There's a whole section on the rise and fall of nations. And when you look at key Shemitahs or key, uh, key, you know, key moments in this, for instance, you have 1917, you have the greatest, you have the shaking of the nations, World War I, and it's the pivotal year. America enters into that war, and that's the beginning of the rise of America as a superpower. And yet you also find the collapse or fall of kingdoms and empires all over the place. If you go, if you move ahead, four Shemitahs, or, you know, 28 years, you end up with 1945, again, key year of shaking, of collapsing, collapse of the, of the European empires, the rise of America, rise of Soviet Union. You, you, you always you have the shift of world history continuously. Um, and then, you know, it, you, you, you see this, you, you, as you go, the, the Shemitah is not only linked to the financial realm, as we can see, it's linked to the physical realm, nullifies things and is linked to the, to the changing of powers, as it was in ancient times. And so, you know, with this coming Shemitah, it may not only, and I'm not setting dates, and it doesn't have to happen in this cycle, but just remember, it's not only the financial realm or the economic realm. This affects literally every realm. 
All right, listen, we'll uh, we'll get into the the coming uh, Shemitah and what it might hold in store. I also want to ask you after the uh, the break. Um, I, I did a, a number of programs about the blood moons, and yes. uh, I want to find out if there's any tie-in between the blood moons, which are sort of signposts, God's signposts in the sky, in the there heavens. Uh, <laughs> what is. the connection is between the blood yeah. moons uh, and uh, uh, the Shemitah. Jonathan Kahn yes. is uh, with us. The mystery of the Shemitah, the three thousand year old mystery that holds the secret of. America's future, the world's future, and uh, your future. And, um, well, we're, we're heading into a break, but let's just start the, the conversation. Let me, let me just be specific here now about the timing, uh, the timing of the next Shemitah. Is it, is it this year? Yes. Yeah. It, begin, it begins, again, it begins in three days, uh, just about three, actually, or four days. It begins Wednesday night, um, and it goes from this September to the next September. And it's not because it's the Hebrew calendar, or the Bible, it doesn't happen on the same days on the Western calendar. So it begins now. It, it culminates, uh, actually begins September 25th, which is my birthday, so it's easy to remember for me. All right, um, okay, and, we're, we're going to take a time out here. Uh, okay. All right, three days till the next Shemitah, folks. All right, batten down the hatches. Back with more of my conversation with Jonathan Kahn, right here on The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. Uh, back to my conversation with Jonathan Kahn in uh, just a moment. Uh, just wanted to congratulate Frank and Teresa, our uh, two callers who successfully answered the question posted at followthetruth.tv. Every week, another, uh, another uh, mystery question, and if you can solve it and call our studio uh, during the, uh, the conspiracy show, uh, Frank and Teresa successfully answered the question uh, about one of our speakers at Follow the Truth, uh, Professor Ronald Mallett, who will be here to talk about uh, time travel, and uh, he, he's written a book, a biography called Time Traveler, A Scientist's Personal Mission to Make Time Travel a Reality. And the question was, that book has been optioned for a Hollywood film by what famous director? Uh, and Frank and Teresa successfully answered, it is, of course, Spike Lee. All right. Uh, there'll be a new question next week. Just to keep checking, followthetruth.tv. Now, Jonathan Kahn uh, is with us for a few moments yet. The mystery of the Shemitah. We were talking about the um, uh, the coming Shemitah. It's almost upon us. The next three days. I want to find out though what is the link between the blood moons and we had, I believe, two of them this past summer, uh, sort of bookends. And in between, there was a uh, uh, like a supermoon, which is rather ominous. What's the connection between blood moons? And the Shemitah. We, we just to spend a moment talking about what blood moons are. Are you there, Jonathan? Did we lose Jonathan? We did. All right. Yes. Get uh, Jonathan back on the uh, the line as quickly as we can. Uh, let me just um, remind folks listening that the conspiracy show, the television program. The Conspiracy Show television program is uh, airing across Canada, now in Season 3, Vision TV, and it airs Monday nights, Monday nights at 10 p.m. Eastern across Canada, Vision TV, and I'm really excited about uh, our next episode. Uh, it has to do with Jim Morrison, and of course the whole legend of whether or not Morrison may have faked his death back in Paris in 1971, July of 71. So be on the lookout for that. All right, we've got Jonathan Kahn back. Jonathan, I was asking about the connection between the Shemitah uh, and blood moons. Spend a few moments talking about what blood moons are because we've, we, we've had some blood moons this, this year uh, mm -hmm. and uh, there are more on the way. What are they and what do they have to do with the Shemitah? Yeah, the blood moons, which were discovered by Mark Biltz, uh, 
are the are is a is the pattern of lunar eclipses that happen full lunar eclipses that happen in this what's called a tetrod it happens four four in a row which is rare and then on top of it they happen in a uh, on a on biblical holy days basically Passover Sukkot or Tabernacles Passover Sukkot in a two year period consecutively well that's happened around the time of the birth of Israel it happened around the time of uh, of the Six Day War Jerusalem uh, and even also 1492 so it happened at some key time so the the possibility is that it's significant that it is this is happening now again we are now through the first it's really basically a year and a half period that we have now of blood moons and we have uh the basically the first half year has been done so what is remaining is one year of blood moons and the interesting thing is the one year of blood moons they they are now basically they are the shemitah the the what is re, what is left of the blood moons is the shemitah year which again is beginning extremely short in a short time and the, the thing is that, you know, there's an end-time uh, part of this Shemitah. You, you see when you look at the end times, you look at Revelation, you see sevens a lot. You see the seven-year tribulation. Well, th- this is linked to the Shemitah. And there is one of the mysteries is called the mystery of the seventh Shemitah, which actually lies behind the return of Israel and also the return of Jerusalem, 1967, and is also coming to a head in this coming Shemitah. Now, one of, one of the, the dynamics is that this thing, as we mentioned, is, has been intensifying. So the, the last two Shemitahs happened exactly, you know, on that day, you know, to the moment. And so now we go, we're, we're heading to the next one. The next Shemitah is 2014 to 2015. As we said, September to September begins September 25th in a few days. It comes to a head uh, September, uh, September 13th. 2015, which is the peak. Now, you know, we mentioned blood moons, but there's another part of this, and that is that, you know, in the Bible, it speaks about the darkening of the sun as a sign of judgment. Now, I'm not saying that every time there's a darkening of the sun, it means it's judgment, but it can be a sign of judgment. So, interesting thing is that there will the, be two eclipses of the sun in 2015 in the Shemitah. Each one will be linked to the timing of the Shemitah. The one will happen in the spring of 2015, and that will take place on the very center day of the Shemitah, the very day that marks the exact center point. The other one will take place on Elul 29, the day of nullification, the very end of the Shemitah. So you have, when you, if you look at, it's not only the, you know, the blood moon, the, the darkening of the sun is exact to the Shemitah. And interesting, because we mentioned about this tower that's going up. Well, well, uh, a little while ago, they tried to put the top on that tower, the spire. And this, uh, as they did, the, the day it was a, a, uh, an eclipse of the sun, it was a darkening of the sun. And you have all these things kind of coming together. That, and, and the thing is that the, the last time that the sun was darkened on Elul 29, which is going to come again, that's going to happen again, you know, in a year, the last time it happened, it was 1987, and it ushered in the month that had the greatest crash in Wall Street history, Black percentage-wise, which was Black Monday. Right. It happened also during, at the time of the Great Depression. It happened just around that time, at the end of Elul 29, 
And that ushered in the greatest month crash in American history or world history. So you have all these things converging at the same time. We mentioned, you know, all the sevens, the seventh Shemitah, and seven obviously very prominent in the Bible. And if memory serves, if we go back to... Uh, the 2008 and the the, the, the stock market crash, yeah. the 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 number that it fell in terms of volume that day. Do you happen to remember what that was? <laughs> yes, I think I do. Yeah, in the in the book, it's called the mystery of sevens, and that is that that in on on that first of all on on that crash. Remember, it's it, you know again sevens the key of the shemitah. On that moment, a little 29, 2008, how much of Wall Street was wiped out? First of all, the percentage was seven percent. In 2001, the crash on a little 29, the percentage was the same percentage, 7% was wiped out. And the actual points you're referring to was a crash, it was 777. That's the number of the crash. I mean, I mean it's like it, it couldn't be more obvious. I mean, and, and, you, and there's far more in that. And there's right. even, there's even a, a chain of sevens that if you go back from that moment of 777 on Wall Street from 2008, go back seven years, again, exact years in, in the Bible, it brings you to the other crash, to the exact moment. Go back seven days, it brings you to 9-11. And if you go back seven hours, it brings you to the hour of 9-11. So there's all these things. That is the pattern. And the other thing is, you know, in another uh, part of the, of the book and the mystery is that, you know, you have something called the Jubilee. And the Jubilee in the Bible... You know, we, you know, people know that more than the Shemitah, but the Jubilee is based on the Shemitah. It's the seventh Shemitah would lead into the Jubilee. When you have seven Shemitahs, or 49 years, seven sevens, it leads to the 50th year, the Jubilee. Well, there is this mystery, because the Jubilee is kind of like a super Shemitah. And so there's an end-time mystery here, because the Jubilee was about returning to your land and being restored to, your, to the possession that you had lost, returning to your father's land. Well, the, the thing is that According to the Bible, the Jubilee, and nobody knows exactly when it is, because we don't have the record of it, but according to the Bible, it has to happen on, in the year period after the sh- a Shemitah, no matter what. In, ni- you, in 1916 and 17, you have a Shemitah. Ends 1917, September. The next year, September 7, 1917 to September 1918, you have this year after the Shemitah. Could there be a restoration? Well, that is the year, that's the exact period when Israel or the Jewish people were given back the land of Israel, the Balfour Declaration, England wins, is winning the war, the Turkish Empire falls, they, they get the land of Israel, and they give it to the Jewish people. So the restoration, they re, the Jewish people start returning to their homeland, to their, their father's land, Jubilee, exactly what it says. But then if you go, what happens if you go seven sevens from that, from that, that Shemitah in 1916 and 17? It takes you to the Shemitah of 1965-1966 and September 1966. The year following, the year is September 1966 to September 1967. The Six-Day War. Yeah, could there have been a a restoration? Well, yeah, you have the the Six-Day War. Jerusalem comes back into Jewish hands. They return to their their inheritance, and you have it. And now if you go another seven, 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 when, when is the seventh Shemitah? Next it's year. right now. It's right where we're coming to. And so the year after, which, and I'm not saying it has to happen, I'm not saying the pattern has to continue. However, I'd be aware of it, the, the year after would be September 2015 to 2016, but every time in the past it has been linked to a prophetic restoration for Israel and also a war. Well, we've got, uh, we've got about two minutes here. Let, um, let, me, let me ask you, um, 
what what do you think is is coming? Uh, I, yeah. I look in, you look at the headlines. We've got uh, Ebola. Some yeah. uh, projections say we could have five hundred thousand people, a half a million people infected. If it gets into the major cities, look out. We've also got ISIS, of course. Uh, yeah. uh, what do you see coming? Yeah. Well, first, you know, there is, we can't we won't have time to go into, it, but there's a link between ISIS and the second harbinger in the book. It's really an eerie one and a chilling one. I'll just say it's a it's a, it's a chilling. Uh, foreshadow of what can be and what happened to ancient Israel. It's, it's very ominous, because I saw this coming for a while. So there's one thing, it's an ominous thing. But I believe a great shaking is coming. And whether it, it, it happens in the Shemitah or not, and I, it's very likely, it very well can, but I'm not setting dates, even though I give dates, um, is that is that I believe a great shaking's coming that's going to affect the, the economic realm of collapse, the, the financial realm, but it will be more than that as well. And this collapse will be gigantic. I believe it will affect America and the world. Um, and it, it is re- and the ultimate purpose is a shaking is to is to shake uh, to call us back to God. But I believe it's coming. I believe we need to be prepared, whether someone is a believer or not a believer. We need to be prepared. That's one of the reasons why I wrote the book. And how do we get the book? The book is available everywhere. The Mystery of the Shemitah is on online, Amazon, everywhere, Walmart, Barnes & Noble, everywhere. Secular, Christian, it's all over, along with The Harbinger, too, which is the, first, the beginning. And leave us with a website, Jonathan. Uh, the to, a website is hopeoftheworld.org, and that's where you can get all the, all the teachings behind all this. That's where it first came, so it's hopeoftheworld.org. All right. Uh, listen, always uh, appreciate the, the time that we spend together and hope we can do uh, more. We'll obviously, uh, Amen. Be, uh, with the next three days, we'll be uh, keeping yeah. our eyes wide open. Thanks, Jonathan. Yeah, usually, usually it starts out without drama, so you may not notice anything, if some, but I'd keep watching throughout this year. Will do. You've got your assignment, <laughs> folks. You, Richard. God bless Watch. you, Jonathan. Thank you. Jonathan Kahn, The Mystery of the Shemitah, the 3,000-year-old mystery that holds the secret of America's future, the world's future, and your future. My website, richardserrett.com. Check it out. Your portal to the conspiracy show. Say hello on Twitter, at Richard Serrett. And as always, follow the truth. We are now in something like 450, uh, day 450, and counting of the outbreak in West Africa. If you go to the website, richardserrett.com, I've got a, um, a story posted there and a map that's kind of tracking the spread of the disease, and uh, it's linked to a story uh, talking about some rather dire predictions. Uh, the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is preparing a worst-case scenario report on the West African Ebola outbreak. The disease could spread to over half a million people if no additional action is taken to contain it, according to early estimates, as of uh, Sunday, there were fifty-three sorry, five thousand three hundred and thirty-five, five thousand three hundred and thirty-five probable, confirmed, and suspected cases of Ebola across Guinea, Liberia, Sierra Leone, Nigeria, and Senegal. Of those, two thousand six hundred and twenty-two people have died, according to the World Health Organization. Uh, the CDC's report which is scheduled to be released sometime this week, will estimate how many people the disease will infect by the end of January, assuming no additional aid or intervention by government and relief agencies occurs. 
Uh, the CDC is working on a dynamic modeling tool that allows for recalculations of projected Ebola cases over time, according to Barbara Reynolds, a spokeswoman for the agency. As emailed to Bloomberg, CDC expects to release these interactive, uh, this interactive tool in a, in a description of its use soon. Uh, the current projection, again, 550,000 cases, is currently being reviewed by researchers and may change. Uh, two people familiar with its contents who asked to remain anonymous because it isn't yet public told Bloomberg. So again, worst case scenario, a half million Ebola infections. So how was your weekend? We're going to be uh, talking about uh, the Centers for Disease Control in just a few moments when investigative reporter John Rappaport uh, joins us. Now, this guy is no slouch, folks. He was nominated for a Pulitzer Prize, a founder of nomorefakenews.com. He's going to tell us about a whistleblower at the CDC who has admitted through his lawyer that he was essentially asked to lie, to emit data in a study on possible connections between vaccines and autism. And there's more. It doesn't end there. So John uh, Rappaport will join us in just a few moments. Before that, I just want to remind you again about the Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett, the TV program airing across Canada Monday nights, 10 p.m. Eastern on Vision TV. And we're now in syndication in the U.S. I believe season one is uh, now airing down in the U.S. in about 40 or 50 markets. I received an email from someone in Niagara Falls uh, last night who was watching the show on uh, one of the Buffalo stations. So check your local listings. And if your market in the U.S. isn't carrying the show, call the station and ask them why the heck not. Uh, Season three across Canada in the meantime. And our next episode is about Jim Morrison, legendary lead singer of The Doors. And I'll examine the theory that the Lizard King may have faked his own death back in Paris in July of 1971. And then, once you've watched the episode on Vision, head over to the website, theconspiracyshow.com. It's a great interactive website, and you can join the debate right there online. All right. John Rappaport has been all over this story of uh, Dr. William Thompson of the Atlanta-based CDC. And he recently, as I say, admitted in a statement released through his lawyer that he has uh, omitted vital data from a 2004 study on the MMR vaccine and its connection to autism and more. Just when, you know, we've been told uh, that that initial connection, that link between autism and the MMR vaccines was, was uh, unfounded, that there is no link. However, now we, uh, we have additional information from this whistleblower, Dr. William Thompson. Jonathan Rappaport is the author of three explosive collections, The Matrix Revealed, Exit from the Matrix, and Power Outside the Matrix. John was a candidate for a U.S. congressional seat in the 29th District of California. He maintains a consulting practice for private clients, the purpose, purpose of which is the expansion of personal creative power. He was, as I say, nominated for a Pulitzer Prize. He's worked as an investigative reporter for 30 years, writing articles on politics, medicine, and health for CBS, Health Watch, LA Weekly, Spin Magazine, Stern, and other newspapers and magazines in the U.S. and Europe. He's delivered lectures and seminars on global politics, health, logic, and creative power to audiences around the world. And you can sign up for his free emails at www.nomorefakenews.com. John, welcome aboard. How are you? Oh, very good. Always good to be here with you. Great to have you with us. So tell us, who is this uh, William Thompson, Ph.D., exactly? 
Well, he's been working at the U.S. Centers for Disease Control, the CDC, since 1998. He is a research scientist. He's not just a bureaucrat. And he was a co-author on a paper, a, a very key journal paper in 2004, that was published in a prestigious journal called Pediatrics. And it was a case study of children having to do, as you say, with the MMR, measles, mumps, rubella vaccine, and whether or not there was any connection between the vaccine and autism. And the basic conclusion of the study was no, there is no real connection between the two. So then we flash ahead to 2013, out of the blue, Thompson contacts a PhD engineer named Brian Hooker, who has a child with autism, because Thompson has somehow become aware that Hooker is combing through CDC data to see if there is some connection between vaccines and autism. And apparently Hooker was quite surprised by this phone call and they began having regular conversations and Thompson sent him a significant amount of raw data from that 2004 study, which Hooker analyzed. They spoke, and Hooker said, well, I found out that there is a set of children, uh, black American children, males under the age of three, who seem to have a very high risk, increased risk of autism, who got that vaccine. To which Thompson replied, oh, you found it. These were data that had been omitted from the study after they had been, uh, you know, researched by Thompson and his four other co-authors. And so phone calls continued and so on and so forth. And eventually, um, this story at this point gets a little bit cloudy as to whether or not Thompson ever wanted his name to be revealed. But revealed it was uh, sometime around August 23rd, 22nd, somewhere in there. Either by Brian Hooker or by Dr. Andrew Wakefield. We should we should point out uh, Andrew Wakefield was a physician in the UK. Uh, I believe his study his study goes back to about 1998, and he was uh, the one that made some of the earlier claims about the the link between the MMR vaccine and and the, that it might cause autism. And it was published in Lancet uh, back in the late 90s, and then there was a retraction, uh, and uh, Wakefield was or attempts were made, at least, to discredit Wakefield. He was barred from practicing as a physician in the UK. I believe he now resides in, in, in Texas. Uh, and then we were told up and down that, that Wakefield's methodology was faulty, that the study was, was, was discredited, and that there is no link uh, between the MMR vaccine and autism. And, and Thompson's study, which he co-authored in 2004, said much the same thing, did it not? 
Yes. And from everything that I can see, Thompson has profusely apologized to Wakefield for covering up the fraud that he was party to, he, Thompson, at the CDC for 10 years, sitting on that, because uh, in Thompson's view, which I think is correct, he could have exonerated Wakefield and said this man was on the right track. Well, this this uh, cluster uh, of um, uh, young uh, African-American children that were discovered by this man, was his name Hooker? Yes, Brian Hooker. So he found, Brian Hooker found this uh, a cluster uh, of, of African-American children who had an increased, uh, what, what exactly were his findings again? Just outline that, because this is important. About a 340% increased risk for autism. And of course, these were children who had received the MMR vaccine. That data, those data were omitted from the 2004 study. Thompson was a co-author on the study. How did this Brian Hooker find them? Do we, do we know? How do we... Because how did he... Thompson sent him all the raw data ah. as if, I don't know, you know, to test him or to see, you know, to sort of confess in a roundabout way because Thompson felt very guilty, as he should, and tremendous remorse for what he had done in covering up this and sitting on it for 10 years. You know, when you uh, give a free pass to a vaccine in a prestigious study and say it has no connection to autism, and you sit on that lie for 10 years, basically what you're doing is permitting all, you know, that vaccine to be used left and right everywhere and to cause vaccine in children, uh, to cause autism in children, which Thompson was well aware of, you know, what he had done. Well, well how significant uh, was this omitted data? In other words, how large, I, I keep using the word cluster, and I don't know if that's the appropriate term. Yeah, I mean, that's useful. Well, let's put it this way. It would have significantly altered the finding and the conclusion of the study. The, the study would not have been able to then say, oh, no, there's no connection between the vaccine and autism. I mean, that data, those data were crucial. And by omitting them, it's kind of, you know, you just say, well, gee, look at this. Wow, there's a connection between the vaccine. Okay, let's forget that. (laughs) You know, now, let's look at all the other data. Oh, whoa, there's no connection between the vaccine and autism. Okay, this is what we publish. And we don't talk about this other stuff. All right, uh, John, hold on. We'll come back and we'll, con- we'll continue uh, to discuss uh, this whistleblower, Dr. William Thompson, or William Thompson, Ph.D., from the uh, Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. And this 2004 study on possible links between the MMR vaccine and autism, which came out and said there is no link now that's being called into question back with more here on the conspiracy show don't you dare go away john rapaport is with us investigative reporter and uh, the founder of nomorefakenews.com you can sign up for his uh, free email uh, letter there at the website and we're talking about uh, this whistleblower from the atlanta-based center centers for disease control uh william thompson phd 
And this goes back to a 2004 study which was examining possible links between the MMR vaccine and autism. Uh, and you'll, of course, uh, remember the, the controversy uh, with Dr. Andrew Wakefield, who published a report in Lancet in England uh, back in the late 90s, which purported to find a link between autism and MMR, MMR vaccine. Uh, and that was later uh, retracted by Lancet. And Wakefield's work was wildly widely rather discredited or so we thought uh, now before we get back to thompson uh have you always based on your your research uh john have you always held to to wakefield's findings uh even after you know the uh, after the attempts to discredit him have you always believed that there was this link oh yeah sure in fact uh, it, it's not just the mmr vaccine it's many vaccines given individually or together, and now, of course, the vaccine schedule is just horrendously piled up, you know, with so many, so many shots that little babies and kids get, so on and so forth. And, um, you know, another issue, which we probably won't have time to get into, but there's a lot of fiddling that goes on at the government level with the labels of various diseases and disorders like autism and then you have developmental delay and there's you know so many different names and so forth given but what we're really talking about is vaccines inducing brain damage neurological damage that's this the bottom line here no matter what you want to call it so yes i've always seen that there is a connection no question about it. Uh, Wakefield was one of those doctors who started to bring it out when he, you know, his career was destroyed. Other doctors have said the same thing. Other researchers have said the same thing. This is nothing new. But what's really new here is that we have an insider, a reputable scientist who, as I'll explain, once his name was outed, then went on the record with a published statement three days or four days later on August 27th with his attorney, admitting that he had committed fraud in that study and that his co-authors, by implication, several of whom are now major executives at the CDC, also committed fraud which opens up a gigantic can of worms. I mean, in the research community, an admission like this never, never happens. An author, respected researcher in a government agency, <clears throat> which is committed to claiming that vaccines are completely safe and effective, suddenly stands up and says, wait a minute, these questions are not resolved, and I and my co-authors committed fraud 10 years ago, and we've been lying about it ever since. Did he actually use those words, lying no, and fraud? but if you read between the lines in his public statement, that's what he's saying. He said, we omitted vital data from the study. We broke the protocol of the study. What that latter phrase means is that 
we had decided to include all the data that we collected in making our conclusions, but then we didn't do that. We took out a set of data that led us thereby to a completely opposite conclusion. Now, was he only focusing on the 2004 study in which he co-authored re- regarding autism and MMR? Yes, in his public statement. That's right. But has he hinted that there may have been other studies where data was likewise omitted? Oh, he's made, <laughs> he's made statements before he released the public statement, which have now been revealed <laughs> um, at YouTube in these private phone conversations that he was having with Brian Hooker and possibly Andrew Wakefield. Those are now dribbling out. And those statements that Thompson is making are much more devastating than what he released in his public statement. But he did, in fact, go on the record on August 27th by name through his attorney, Rick Morgan, and he did admit that he, you know, purposely omitted vital data in the study. So when something like this happens, and as I say, this never happens, so it's really explosive, you would expect several things immediately. There would be an internal investigation inside the CDC that would be publicly announced. You know, the CDC right. is very concerned, and we're doing a blah, 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 blah. not happening. And the journal, Pediatrics, which published the study in 2004, would retract it or would carry out a transparent investigation, at least, as to what really went on there. They have not done that. They have not consulted with Thompson. They have not gone to him and said, show us where you committed fraud. In fact, that journal, Pediatrics, has now publicly and officially refused to retract the study. You know, whether or not uh, Thompson's statement is true, and, you know, why would someone make a statement like that through his lawyer yeah, and go right. on the record? But let's assume for a moment, you know, that, that it's, it's questionable. Even if it's questionable, when, when a researcher, a co-author of a study like this comes out publicly and makes a statement there should have been an uproar there should have been we should have, we should see stories in the new york times we should see absolutely. a story on 60 minutes but it's Page been one. silent yep absolute silence and and uh, i don't think i said this yet but thompson is still working at the cdc <laughs> that is really bizarre he hasn't been fired he hasn't been suspended uh You know, they're hoping, apparently, at the CDC that all this is going to go away. And because they are a primary source for medical information for major media media outlets all over the world, they understand at the CDC that these mainstream news outlets don't want to ruffle the feathers of the CDC. Otherwise, they will not have access to major sources of information about medical stories, which is exactly what's happening. Major media have blacked out this story. This is a huge scandal. It's true. I mean, regardless of what side of the... What Thompson is saying is questionable. Yeah, regardless of what side of the vaccine debate you're on, if you believe that vaccines are safe and effective, it doesn't matter. 
when you've got a researcher who makes a statement like this through his lawyer that he yeah. omitted data on any any sort of study that came out of the CDC this should this we must have major media attention paid now have you called the CDC John and and uh, and asked about this no i haven't called them because uh, i've learned over the years that all you get is their public information office which you know says we're satisfied with the study and so forth because the CDC has released quietly a statement saying that they are satisfied with the study or that they're not planning to retract it, et cetera, et cetera. And Thompson, in his public statement, which was released on the 27th of August, is claiming that he is still on very good terms with his employer. Everything is hunky-dory. No problem. He's still working there. Etc. Etc. I mean, that's very odd. Oh, very odd. Yeah. I mean, it's totally bizarre. You see, on the one hand, anybody with a, two brain cells to rub together realizes that he's accusing the CDC of blatant fraud because the researchers themselves don't decide. You know, okay, we're going to cover this up. Somebody is telling them to do this. Precisely. And that, that somebody has to be at the CDC. Well, did he hint in his statement, either uh, his statement through his uh, attorney or in these private conversations with uh, Wakefield and, and Brian Hooker uh, that were released on YouTube, has he hinted at who may have given him the order to omit this data and why? No, but... <clears throat> But I know certain things, and other people do, too. For example, a document has been released, not by Thompson, which is a letter that he wrote to the head of the CDC in 2004, Julie Gerberding, in advance of a major conference that was going to take place in a week on vaccines and autism. And in this letter, <clears throat> Thompson warned her. He said, I'm about to discuss and disclose at this meeting some troubling and sensitive data having to do with the study that we're talking about, the 2004 study on the MMR vaccine and autism. He was giving her a heads up. He was also telling her that the CDC was losing the PR war on vaccine safety among the American public and that she had to do something about this. So, A, his letter was ignored, and B, his appearance at that conference a week later was canceled. So one expects that Julie Gerberding, the head of the CDC, made sure that he w did not discuss the troubling and sensitive data because he wrote a letter to her saying that's what he was going to do and then he wasn't permitted to do it now just to put a fantastic cap on this and i hope the people out there have their brains screwed in real tight on this julie gerberding the head of the cdc left her job there in 2009 and became the president of Merck Vaccines, 
which she is to this day. And Merck manufactures the MMR vaccine. Oh, but that's not a conflict of interest. <laughs> I mean, conflict of interest would be way too small to characterize that move. She holds two positions simultaneously? She's head no. of the CDC? or She, she left the CDC ah, in okay. 2009. Okay. And shortly after became Came. head of Merck vaccine. Got it. Okay. So one could look at this various ways. She got a reward from Merck for keeping her mouth shut about the connection between the vaccine and uh, autism and sitting on that and getting her authors there to exclude data that would have proven a connection. You know, you can go through all that and speculate, but regardless, the fact is that Thompson wrote her a letter 10 years ago, warning her, essentially, look, there's a connection between this vaccine and autism. That connection was covered up in the study. He wasn't allowed to make a presentation that would have revealed that connection. The lie was kept by all the authors for 10 years. Julie Gerberding, the head of the CDC, left her post. She went to Merck vaccine. She became the president, and they just so happened to manufacture the very vaccine, MMR, which was covered up at the CDC for its uh, neurological damaging effects. I mean, is that a story or is that a story? Is that, a, uh, as you say, a, a New York Times page one story, 60 minutes, everybody climbs on board, explosive scandal at the CDC, vaccine cover-up, damage, autism, etc. Nothing. Absolutely friggin' nothing. Well, it certainly received a, a huge amount of attention. Uh, page one coverage uh, when when Andrew Wakefield's story was retracted by Lancet when he there found. So why go. isn't the opposite to happen? There you I, go. <laughs> and now we see the reason why. Obviously, because there is a vaccine establishment, and they have to be protected. They are a protected species, and. Uh, the other side is the enemy. Now, uh, we're heading into a break here, but let me just throw this out quickly and, and we can start the conversation and come back to it if necessary. But um, the CDC has always said, in, in regards to autism and, and vaccines, uh, that you know, one of the, 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 the ingredients that they've studied specifically is thimerosal, uh, which was sort of put out there as maybe one of the, 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 the causes of autism, this this preservative, thimerosal, and, and the CDC has said, listen, we remove thi thimerosal to entirely or at least to trace amounts in all childhood vaccines going back to like 2001. Uh, is, is thimerosal still the suspect or even trace amounts of thimerosal still the suspect when we're talking about a possible link between the MMR vaccine and autism? You bet. Even though, it's, Absolutely. even though it's been removed or there are only trace amounts? <clears throat> well, I don't know that the, um, the quantity of... First of all, people have to understand thimerosal is mercury, a known potent neurotoxin. Everybody understands that. And injecting it directly into the body, as opposed to, say, eating it in fish, where people are warned, you know, don't eat fish that have mercury in it, you know. But injecting into the body of a baby, that's okay. Or a pregnant woman, okay. So 
I don't know that the amount has been reduced, but there are still vaccines, flu vaccines that contain mercury that are used in the United States. And there are vaccines that are used all over the world, outside the U.S., all sorts of vaccines that still contain mercury. All right, we'll come back with our conversation with John Rappaport, investigative reporter, No More Fake News, as we talk about what should be a huge story, and yet it's not being covered. A CDC whistleblower says vital data was omitted from a story he co-authored or from a study he co-authored on possible links between the MMR vaccine and autism. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Don't go away. Welcome back. John Rappaport is with us. Investigative reporter, nomorefakenews.com, nomorefakenews.com. Dr. Uh, uh, William Thompson, a researcher at the uh, Centers for Disease Control in Atlanta, a whistleblower uh, who admitted through a statement uh, published uh, through his attorney that vital data was omitted from a 2004 study in which, which he co-authored on uh, possible links between MMR, the MMR vaccine, uh, and autism. Uh, this must be huge uh, vindication from uh, the various uh, autism organizations. How are they reacting? Well, they have reacted with tremendous um, energy. Uh, there has been talk of a class action lawsuit being formed up against the CDC. Uh, according to a good source of mine, uh, that community of parents of autistic children has come together as never before. So there is tremendous energy among them to get the word out on this scandal since the major media are not reporting it. And I can say personally that in the 12 years that I've had my, uh, you know, I've been publishing at No More Fake News, that no story has garnered more attention than this one. Uh, so, and all over the Internet, you know, you'll find stories about this. But, you see, Thompson goes, we were talking about mercury and vaccines. One of the audio conversations with Thompson that was released recently. Uh, we don't know when the conversation actually took place, but could be sometime in uh, 2013 between him and either Brian Hooker or Dr. Wakefield. We find Thompson saying very forcefully, I would never give a vaccine containing mercury to a pregnant woman. That's absurd, insane. And he follows that up by saying in sort of scientist speak that right now there is biological plausibility for asserting that mercury in vaccines causes autism. Now this was not in his public written statement that he made on August 27th. And if he knew that this phone call was going to be released, he, he might have, uh, you know, thrown a fit. I don't know. But it's out there now. And I transcribed part of it and put it in a piece that I wrote the other day just to show you that in private conversation, Thompson has gone much further than he did in his written statement. How do you feel about William Thompson? Uh, I mean, the same sort of questions arose with, with Edward Snowden. 
Uh, on the one hand, you know, at least he admitted to it. But on the other hand, in this case, he withheld this information 10 years. Is this guy a hero or should he be prosecuted? How do you feel about him? Well, I certainly wouldn't put him in the realm of being a hero. That's for sure. I mean, he's lied, along with his co-authors, along with everybody else at the CDC. He concealed what he knew for 10 years. He allowed, as he well knows, vaccine damage to spread because people assumed the vaccine was safe when it wasn't and isn't. It's happening right now. So certainly not a hero in my book, that's for sure. And in a sense, he's an unwilling whistleblower because were it not for the fact that he was outed, we don't really know whether he would ever have released a public statement through his lawyer admitting to fraud. We don't know. Uh, what I am led to believe and understand is that he was a very confused man, full of remorse, wanting to go public, afraid to go public, you know, back and forth, back and forth, saying to the people that he was talking to on the phone that he was going to reveal his name, then he wasn't, then he was, then he wasn't. And finally, you know, somebody got fed up and said, enough is enough. I'm going to out the guy. Here's his name, William Thompson. At that point, Thompson made a public statement. And in it, you know, in, again, science speak, he is admitting to gross fraud, malfeasance, doing damage. And so I, I don't see him in, in any particular heroic light. And in fact, and this is very important because there are people now in the autism community who feel, okay, all this is heading toward a congressional hearing. We're going to have a congressional hearing, and Thompson is going to testify. Well, maybe we're going to have a hearing, and maybe Thompson will testify. And if he does, what do you expect him to say? With what kind of bold conviction? With what kind of convincing clarity? Or is he simply going to say, well, look, you know, uh, as he did in his public statement, reasonable scientists can disagree and agree on certain matters of blah, 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 blah. And then the whole thing is a dud. Whereas we know from his private conversations, which were recorded, that he's much more bold and assertive and convincing. So which William Thompson would show up at a congressional hearing? I don't put a lot of stock in, uh, you know, a great outcome from a congressional hearing. We've had those before uh, on vaccines, and they haven't really made any significant difference as far as reforming government policy is concerned. All right, uh, we'll take a time out when we'll come back. Um, let's discuss the possibility that William Thompson uh, is being kept very close uh, to uh, the, maybe the people that he's accused at the CDC. Uh, 
he's being very he's being kept very very close so that they can keep an eye on him or perhaps even much worse what is what is the possibility that William Thompson's life might be in jeopardy back with more of my conversation with John Rappaport no more fake news.com right here on the conspiracy show uh, John Rappaport stays with us as we discuss uh, whistleblower William Thompson, Ph.D., a researcher at the Centers for Disease Control, who uh, has admitted through his attorney that he omitted vital data in a 2004 study, a 2004 study examining possible links between the MMR vaccine and autism. Uh, just when we all thought that that issue had been put to bed after Dr. Andrew Wakefield's study, originally published in Lancet magazine on this very same issue, was retracted by uh, the journal Lancet. So um, now, John, I wanted to ask you, uh, just sort of looking at the the opposing views in this issue, because we have to try and examine it from all sides. And there's uh, someone who writes at Science Based Magazine, a David Gorsky. Uh, who says that this study uh, or the the omitted data what, what we're talking about is a is a very small sample and it's not going to have a necessarily an impact on the overall findings so that the 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 study of these uh, um, African American children uh, who had I've heard anywhere from 240% higher uh, risk of, of getting autism uh, to, I, I think, 360%. Uh, he says it's a, it, it, the sample was too small and the methodology used was likely to produce false positives. So, I mean, do we know for sure that this omitted data wasn't omitted because of that fact, that it was too small a sample and the methodology was faulty. In other words, the study still stands. Uh, I don't think there's any question about it. First of all, that's the wrong end of the telescope to look through. You know, somebody is coming in after the fact and saying, well, I've looked at the same data and this is my conclusion. Well, why is the author then so worked up about this, Thompson? Good point. I mean, he Good was point. there. He's the research scientist who omitted the data along with his co-authors, and he's admitting that it was fraud and that it was dangerous fraud that he committed, and he's very remorseful about it. He doesn't think that that, quote, small set of data was insignificant, nor does he think that it was omitted for any good reason because the methodology, uh, you know, wasn't uh, correctly applied or something like that. Um, he thinks, Thompson, that it's very important. So we need to hear from him in detail because, you know, after 10 years, if Thompson thought, well, you know, so what? We omitted some data. It wasn't very important. You can hear him on audio being extremely uh anguished and remorseful on these phone calls of the damage that he believes that he thereby inflicted from lying in this key study in 2004 and and we know so for let's hear from him sure and and we, and, we, and and this is this a uh, an actual phone conversation between Dr. Andrew Wakefield and Thompson or is it an exchange of texts what is it no, it's, we're talking about audio here. Audio. Um, at the Autism Media Channel, YouTube, and 
sometimes at a website called Age of Autism, you will see uh, videos, well, they're YouTube videos, but they're really audio of phone calls posted, and you can listen to them. And you'll see from listening to Thompson how he sounds and what he's saying. And as I just pointed out in the last segment, he's gone a lot farther in his phone call conversation than in his published statement of remorse. He's saying you'd have to be insane to give a vaccine with mercury to a pregnant woman, and there is sufficient evidence at this point to conclude that vaccines in uh, containing mercury do in fact call, cause autism. So, you know, people can spin this any way they want to. But here we have a guy, and yes, I agree with your uh, comments a few minutes ago that we could be looking at a situation where this guy is in grave danger and he's made some kind of a deal with the CDC to A, retain his job, B, get his pension when he retires fairly soon, and C, avoid grievous harm and possibly death. Who knows? Whistleblowers have been killed before and you know, attributed their deaths attributed to, you know, some other cause. So when he says, oh, everything is great, it's wonderful, you know, this can be, uh, you know, a prisoner talking from his jail cell. We don't know for sure, but based on my experience of 30 years as a reporter, and I have written about this, this guy remains in danger, regardless of what he says or anybody else says. This is a very dangerous situation for him because he has, I believe, the capacity to turn the entire CDC upside down and to show that they have been lying not just in this one study but in many other studies that he wrote himself, other co-authors who lied with him in 2004 lied in other studies about vaccines, that the entire establishment there at the CDC is a criminal establishment. And if he does have enough conviction, knowledge, insight to make that kind of charge publicly, then, you know, of course he's in danger all the time from now till, you know, the rest of his life. Does a congressional, would a congressional hearing have the power to subpoena an official at the CDC? Yes, it would, and also to put that person under oath. Now, sometimes the CDC is in the executive branch, and of course the hearing would be in the legislative branch in Congress. There have been occasions, and people can possibly remember them recently, when people in the executive branch just simply refuse to show up. And then there's a hassle back and forth and back and forth, and maybe they eventually show up, maybe they don't. So who knows what the response would be. These people at the CDC are very arrogant. I know that from personal experience. Throughout the medical establishment, you find this kind of, you know, extreme arrogance. So it's possible that, you know, there would be an attempt to refuse but, yes, they can be subpoenaed, and when they show up, they're put under oath. So Julie Gerberding could be called back. 
the current head of the CDC could be called in, the rest of the researchers on that 2004 study, other researchers who have been, who have written uh, fraudulent studies about which I have other knowledge we haven't had a chance to talk about. Sure, they could all be brought in, but I know how these people handle things like that. They say, look, what you're looking at here is an honest disagreement. Sure, this happens from time to time. We and Dr. Thompson were looking at the same data. All right, so we've had a disagreement about it, but we're confident, all four of us, other co-authors, that we did the right thing. And we reached the correct conclusion. Now, if he chooses to disagree, of course, that's his right, blah, blah, blah. And then it can become a non-story. Have you talked to uh, Dr. Andrew Wakefield since this story broke? No. Um, I was on the same show that he was. We didn't actually talk to each other. We were both being interviewed at the same time. I know that he wants a congressional hearing. I understand that. And I also know that he feels exonerated. And I know, because I've seen the text, as other people have, of uh, that went back and forth between him and Thompson, Thompson profusely apologized to Wakefield, and Wakefield accepted his apology without any, quote, bitterness. And, you know, so I understand a few things about Thompson's, I mean, uh, Wakefield's reaction to all this. But what these people don't understand, you see, because they're scientists, is that if you want to keep a story alive, you have to do things to make that happen. You can't sit around and wait. And you can't let things out a little bit here, a little bit there. There are thousands of pages of raw data about vaccines. We don't know what they contain, but they were sent by Thompson to Brian Hooker, possibly to Wakefield, to Congressman Bill Posey of Florida, who has them now and his staff are going through them. Why Bill Posey? Because Posey has uh, come out questioning the safety of vaccines before. Okay, so there is a friend on Capitol Hill. There is a friend on... I've talked to people in his office. Okay. Um, Release all that data now. Stop waiting around. Just put it all out there online. Is it 10,000 pages, 20,000, whatever it is? Let's see what it is. Let's have a lot of eyeballs on it. Let's get a debate going. Let's not wait and wait and hope we're going to get a hearing in Congress and this and that. If the story is not kept alive, it's going to die. Not just in the mainstream press where it's already dead because it never was covered, but even alternative news sites are going to stop covering it because there's nothing new to report. Why should they continue to go over it and over it? But unfortunately, people like Brian Hooker and Wakefield don't understand this part of the deal. Stories have an asymmetric life of their own. Once they catch on, they can blaze up, they can go out suddenly, they can gather strength and spread, but you have to feed new data into the 
you know, the world of the Internet in order to keep this alive. Well, you certainly have been doing your part, John. You've been hammering yeah. away at this story for quite some time. What's next for you? What, how, how are you going to uh, uh, further the story? Well, I'm writing a piece right now about some of the things that we're talking about here in the last few minutes. And I'm also looking, for example, into why Thompson has retained an attorney, Rick Morgan, who is quite well known for filing certain kinds of whistleblower actions. Uh, they're called quitam, in which the whistleblower stands to make a tremendous amount of money if it can be proven that government funds were wasted. And uh, this, you know, is a practice in America, and it's been done on many occasions, and billions of dollars have been paid out to whistleblowers or recovered for the government. But in this case, you see, we're not talking about a private employee of a company that has a government contract. We're talking about a government employee at a government agency, and that status of whistleblower is much more vague and cloudy and debated in the courts than the traditional whistleblower situation. So I'm very curious about why Thompson has retained this particular attorney. That is interesting. What does he hope to gain from it? Would the manufacturers of the MMR vaccine be uh, uh, protected uh, from a class action lawsuit if this ever came to light, that this was true? Hmm. I think they would be, but now that you bring that up, Merck, they are right now subject to another whistleblower lawsuit from a former employee, two former employees of Merck, for another reason that has to do with the MMR vaccine, that has to do with uh, Merck lying about how effective it is. When these whistleblowers claim that Merck knew all along and still knows that it's not very effective at all, and that suit has just been green-lighted by a judge to move forward. So Merck could be torpedoed on that score. Although we know how these things often play out. They, they, they're willing, they're able to pay sometimes hundreds of millions of dollars in out-of-court settlements so that these things never get to trial, and that's just the cost of doing business for them. Yes. In this case, however, the whistleblower suit would assess the amount of damage that the done to the government because the government has bought all these vaccines in good faith thinking that they were very effective and then you would triple that damage and that would be the award okay so but yes you're right i mean merck would be willing to pay out a billion dollars without okay. blinking an eye john got to run uh, okay. Listen, thank you for all the work you're doing. NoMoreFakeNews.com. Always a pleasure, John. Thank you, Richard. It's been great. John Rappaport. My thanks to Tim Spreen and Albert Vinzel, our uh, intern on the program. Thanks, Albert. Good to have you aboard. Back next week with Debbie Papadakis. We'll perform another past life regression live on the air. She'll be par part of our Follow the Truth uh, Summit as well. Back next week. Hope you'll be with me. Good night. Thank you. 
This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.